Well, Caleb alluded to the story we're going to be looking at today, the Philip, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 8. We're going to read the first part of the story, and then we'll talk about the rest. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God that was delivered from God to His apostles, His disciples, and has been preserved for us. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay near to it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he asked, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus, the Word of God. Okay, you know those things that hang out over almost every major intersection in town? Uh, three different color lights, and uh, what do you call those things? Uh, there's lots of different names, but I was wondering what you call them. They're, they're called traffic lights, traffic signals, but I only have one name for them, red lights, because they're always red when I get to them. Now, not when I'm coming up. It's not like they've been red for a long time and you have any chance of it possibly turning green. No, no, no. It always turns red just when you get there, right? At least that's my experience. I've got this theory that somewhere in my life, I got five seconds behind, you know? And if I could ever just catch up that five seconds, then driving would be a lot easier experience for me because I could get through the green light. Pat laughs at me because anytime I come to an intersection where I know there's a light, I start stopping. And on those rare occasions when the light actually is green, she says, Tommy, the light's green. Go. And I'm just so conditioned to being at a red light. Now, I'm not telling you this to get your sympathy or your ridicule, either one. So you can withhold either one of those. But the reason we're talking about red lights today is because this text we just read talked about red lights. It's a story of a man who's on a road. He's traveling, and he's hitting a lot of red lights. We call him the Ethiopian eunuch. Don't know his name. We know that he was a very important person in Ethiopia. Ethiopia was a very exotic land, for, especially for people that lived around Jerusalem, because Ethiopia was down in Africa and basically was the end of the earth to them. 
But it was a, a land where there was a great wealth at that time. And, and this man was an important official. He was the treasurer for the whole country, served the queen, which is why he was a eunuch. Because he worked so closely with the queen of Ethiopia that for security reasons, he had to suffer that physical condition. So we know he's an important man. We know he's a wealthy man, both because of his position and because he's driving a stretch limo chariot at the time. We know this is a big vehicle that he's in because the average chariot of that day was just a one-person thing. You, if you were rich enough to even have a chariot, it was usually just for one person, and that person sat there and you know, drove the, the horses down the road. If you were even wealthier, you might could have one where you could invite a passenger along, along. But we know this guy is riding in a chariot that has its own driver. How do we know that he's not driving? Because he's texting at the time. I mean, literally text. He's reading the text, isn't he? And, and you don't text while you drive, do you? At least don't get in front of me if you do that. And don't get in front of me at the red light and sit there and keep texting when the light finally turns green. All right. So anyway, he's reading the book of Isaiah as he's driving along. And so we know he's got a driver. And then he's still got room to invite Philip to get into the chariot with him. So this guy is mega wealthy. And we know he's wealthy too because he has a copy of the book of Isaiah. Now, for us, you can get one free. You can take the one in front of you right there. We don't care. Take it home with you if you don't have a Bible. Or if you, you want to buy a nice one, it doesn't cost you that much to go to one of the bookstores and buy a nice Bible. But back then, to have any copy of the Scripture was extremely expensive. They were all hand-copied scrolls. And so this man has his own personal copy of the book of Isaiah. Which also brings something else up. Here he is, having been to Jerusalem to worship, going back to Ethiopia over a thousand miles in a wagon, reading Isaiah. We know this man was on a journey, a spiritual journey. This man was a seeker. He was obviously drawn to the God of the Jews. He's obviously drawn specifically to the God of Isaiah. But because of who he was, because of what he was, he was running into a lot of red lights. Which is probably why he was reading Isaiah to begin with. Do you have favorite parts of Scripture that, that you use for comfort or when you're in a real struggle in your time of life, when, when you're thinking, okay, this is got going well, I want to hear God's Word, and, and there's just certain scriptures you keep going back to because they mean so much to you. Psalm 16 is one of those for me. I, when I'm just kind of down and don't know why, or even if I do know why, I'll, I'll turn over to Psalm 16 and, and read through that, and it, 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 just, it just nourishes me. Well, obviously, this man found Isaiah, and particularly this part of Isaiah, very nourishing to him. I, would, um, I can't prove this, 
But since he had this copy of the Bible and, and it was in a scroll, I would almost be willing to wager you that if you had taken that scroll and set it down, it would sort of roll open to what we call Isaiah 53, to this passage. I can't help but believe he had read it many times. Why? Because it seemed to be about him. Now, Luke records a portion of Isaiah 53 that he was reading. Caleb, thank you, read more of that that follows this particular portion. But I want to back up and read a verse that he had just read before Philip found him. Now, we've got the verses he was reading while Philip was there. But listen to what he had just read before Philip got to him. He was despised and rejected by others. He was a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. This man had just been to Jerusalem to worship. A mighty act of faith to travel that far in primitive conditions. But you know what? When he got there, he wasn't really allowed in. We know that because of his physical condition. We know that as much as he wanted to be a child of God, as much as he wanted to be accepted by the God of the Old Testament, by the God of the Jews, by the God of Isaiah... He couldn't quite make it. There were too many red lights in the way. And that's why we're still talking about this guy today. How many people traveled the road from Jerusalem to Gaza? I don't know. How many of them do we still talk about today? I only know of one. Why is his story so important? His story is so important because for many of us, we feel just like him. That while we're on a spiritual journey, we keep hitting red lights. While we want so badly to feel so close to God and to be assured that God loves us, that he's embraced us, we want to know that it's going to be okay When we die, we're going to heaven. And right now, it's okay between me and God. We want that. And yet, for many of us, we keep hearing other voices inside our heads saying, well, it may work for those other folks, but you know it's not working for you. You're not good enough. You don't try hard enough. You don't have enough faith. Maybe there's something in your past that you did that you'll never get over. What if you're divorced? What if you've done something immoral? What if you've done something that was really destructive in the lives of other people? What if you had an abortion? What if, what if, what if? What if you did these things? And because of what you've done and who you are, God will never really accept you. Well, the Ethiopian was struggling with that idea because he had experienced that not only in his inward voices, 
but on the outside as well. And that's why whenever Philip got to him and he invited Philip to come up and sit down beside him, he asked him this question. When this prophet Isaiah is saying this and he's describing all this rejection and this turning away, is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else like me? It sounds like me. It sounds like he's describing who I am. And that's why Philip took this passage and used it to begin discussing the grace of God. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just because this scroll happened to be open to that place... Philip, no doubt, knew the scroll of Isaiah. He could have gone to any part of Isaiah. But he began here because this is an intersection. This is an intersection between our sinfulness, between our doubt, between those red lights in our lives, and the grace and the mercy of God. It's an intersection where the light is always green. Now, I don't know what Philip said in his lesson with the Ethiopian. I don't know exactly how he presented the gospel from Isaiah chapter 53. But I think it went something like this. God has come to us, and he has become one of us. And in becoming one of us, he became just like you. Now, folks, we've got to stop right there. This, this is an important point in hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can believe that God became a human in the form of Jesus Christ, and in doing so, he took on humanity. That's good. That's, that's, that's good faith. But you're not quite there yet. Because if the gospel is to become a powerful force in your life, You don't believe that Jesus just became a human being. You believe he became a human being like you. You know, all these things that go on inside of you, the things you think about, the fears you have, the doubts you have, they're not surprising to God because Jesus became a person like you. He struggled not just with the things that humans struggle with. He struggled with the things you struggle with. And in doing so, as Isaiah tells us, he took those things on himself. He said, let me carry those burdens for you. Let me carry your fears. Let me carry your doubts. Let me carry your sins. Let me bear the punishment for those. Let me bear the punishment that comes from God because we are sinners. Let me bear the punishment that comes from the people around you because you make mistakes. Let me bear, let me bear the punishment that you heap on yourself because of your mistakes. You know, all that beating up you do on yourself... Jesus says, I'll take that too. I'll take your fears. I'll take your doubts. I'll take your sins. And I'll give you my health. 
I will give you my wholeness. I will give you salvation. I know that Philip's sermon went something like that. So they're riding along, talking about Isaiah, talking about life, talking about death, talking about what it's like to feel rejected, talking about what it's like to feel like you're sitting at a red light and never going to get there. And all of a sudden, the eunuch looks up and he sees a pond of water. Not many of those between Jerusalem and Gaza. It's a wilderness area, a desert area. But there's a few, and there's one. And I don't know when it was in the talk that, the, that Philip had brought up the idea of baptism. But I do know that in the Bible, anytime you talk about Jesus and salvation, baptism gets in there somewhere. Because it's an intersection. It's a place where the grace and mercy of God intersect our lives. So somewhere along the way, Philip had mentioned to him that to appropriate the healing and the wholeness that comes into our lives through Jesus, that baptism is that point. So the Ethiopian said, okay. And he didn't, he didn't say, here is water, what doth hindereth me to be baptized? No, 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 no. He said this. He said, okay, there's water over there. What is it this time that's going to keep me from becoming a child of God? It's always been something. There's always some reason that comes up. I'm a eunuch. I'm an Ethiopian. I'm black. There's always been something that comes up that has kept me from being a child of God. What is it this time, Philip? And you know what the answer is that's recorded in Scripture? Silence. Because there is nothing, there is nothing to keep any person from becoming a child of God. As Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, God's yes drowns out all our no's. As loud as we can shout, no, 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 it'll never work. God can shout louder, yes, 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 it will. And like John talks about in his little first letter, he talks about how our hearts often condemn us. I love that passage. It's so truthful. That your heart can condemn you. Your heart can tell you you're not good enough. Your heart can tell you you'll never make it. But that passage goes on to say, God is greater than our heart. He's smarter than you are. He's wiser than you are. He loves more than you do. He knows, and what he knows is, yes, you can. Through me, you can. Through my mercy and through my grace, it's for you. And so they stopped that chariot. And Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, both of them, and the eunuch was baptized. And that's the end of the story almost, isn't it? Philip went away, and the Ethiopian jumped back in that chariot and took off and went on his way rejoicing. No more questions, no more doubts, no more fears. 
And any time his little heart spoke up and said, I don't know if you're good enough or not, the grace and mercy of God said, yes, you are. And that you are truly a child of God. I don't know where you are today on your spiritual journey. But I have a feeling that there's some people in this room sitting at a red light. It's just come to a stop. It could be that you've never been baptized. Here is water. What keeps you from being baptized? The answer is the same as it is in the book of Acts. Nothing. Or perhaps you embrace the grace of God in your baptism and you've let your heart begin to drown out the grace and mercy of our Lord and His Spirit. And if you've been letting yourself be told, no, you can't, then today open your heart to the voice of God who says, through me, you can. Let's stand and sing.